Amen. Well, guys, grab a Bible and make your way tonight to the book of Acts. We are in Acts chapter 9. Uh, last week, we made our way uh, through much of the letter, the chapter 9, not all of it. Uh, tonight, we're going to finish that chapter and do our best to kind of see what's there for us and longing that God would meet us in that, as always. It's a Bible study, so we're hoping you have a Bible, that you're studying the Bible with us. And our hope is that you'll be following along and reading it and believing that the Word of God itself is powerful that it would work into your life this evening. So that's our invitation to you to have a Bible, whether it's one you brought, whether you need a Bible, there's ones in chairs in front of you, page number on the screen, electronic device, that works. As long as it's a Bible you're looking at and kind of tracking with us in that. If you're joining us online or in the overflow, it is the same invitation. We are inviting you to be in the Word of God with us, to, to be in a space that you would be just tracking through that with us and seeing what's there. So we are inviting you uh, to that. And so with that in mind, let's take another moment and just pray. Let's ask for God to move. Let's ask Him to meet us tonight in His Word. And so I want to lead in prayer, and I'm hoping you would also just join in that, and you would be asking our Father that He would speak to you as your child, as His child, that He would show you what He has for you this evening. And so I invite you into that aspect this evening, just asking God to make known to you what He's speaking. Father, we think about right now, and we think about Your Word, and You are the Heavenly Father. Lord, for all of us who know You, that's what we get to approach You as, that we've been brought into a relationship in Christ, that we're family. And in that family, we get to approach you as our heavenly Father. God, I ask for any that are here this evening that are outside of that, um, that are not in a relationship in Christ and don't get to have that access to you as such. How we long for that. How we long for that spiritual adoption, that space of rescuing a soul, bringing him out of darkness and into light. And we cry out for those here this evening that just are needing to be brought into the family of God. And we pray that they would find it to be a family and, and they'd find you to be a glorious father who would welcome them. God, with that, we trust those to you. And then right now, for those of us who are yours, would you speak to us as a father to a, to a child? Would you admonish? Would you speak lovingly? Would you speak helpfully and wisely? Would you guide us to things that you would have for us this evening in a way that it would connect and what you're wanting to do in the midst of that, God, you would do. Just asking for help in that right now, asking for your work and all that you would have as we trust you this evening for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Annual health checks, audits, Progress reports, performance reviews, oh, you know of all these kinds of things. Those spaces where maybe in your job or maybe again with the health, you step in for one of those moments that is meant to be an evaluation, meant to say, okay, how's things going? Like, what, how's that working for you? In a way, that's where we are. We're at one of those moments in the book of Acts that is a little bit of a progress report a space where God just pauses and speaks a quick moment of, hey, here's the state, here's how things are going. And so we want to look at that this evening, but obviously I think it's meant to be more than just information, but almost as we quickly gaze through some of this, that it would stand before you as such, that God would almost hold this up as a quick mirror and say, so 
how are you? <laughs> I mean, if these are the, the variables and if these are the spaces that uh, would be where God you know, looks upon something, if he were to pull up your spiritual progress report, give you a spiritual health check, well, that's what we want to step towards this evening and long that God would do that. FYI, if you've been with us in the book of Acts, you may already remember that God does that throughout the book of Acts. He does it seven times. So seven times in the book of Acts, he just stops kind of where they are, where we are, just says, hey, here's how the church is doing. Like here's the, the whole kind of picture in it. You know, the first one is that just kind of most comprehensive one there in Acts 2 or in, in verse 42 to 47 kind of talks to us about what the church is doing and kind of like, hey, this is the church. This is what the church looks like. And yet then over and over, he just comes back to it and says, hey, here's where they are. So we are at number three. We're at the third kind of health check, if you will, spiritual kind of health check that would help us gaze at that. And in that, we want to just see how God describes it. So why don't you notice it there in verse 31. It says, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So it's a good space. God just kind of gives us this moment like, hey, here's the church. Here's how it's doing. And it's interesting even to quickly note how it begins. It says, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. All Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Now, that's just a big reminder that the church has been just moving. It kind of started there in Jerusalem, and yet it's been expanding, and now it has moved into some incredible spaces. But if you're kind of following the health check, we, we've yet to mark off all the boxes, right? So you go back to the beginning when Jesus instructed the church. He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, you're going to begin there in Jerusalem, which they did. I mean, that's where it poured out. That's where Jesus dies on the cross. That's where the Holy Spirit pours out at Pentecost. But he says, you're going to take it. You're going to take that into Judea. You're going to take that into the surrounding countryside of the Jews, which would actually kind of, in, in some ways, in the midst of this, include in our text, it even talks about Upper Galilee, which still would have been kind of that comprehensive place of, hey, these are the Jews. These are the, those who were walking in the midst of that but then he says, I want you to go past that. I want you to go to Samaria. They didn't do that immediately. In fact, if you've been with us so far, that was a little bit of a kind of pulling them into it as Philip goes down there in chapter 8, and he just begins preaching. Samaritans get saved. They send Peter and John to check it out. Indeed, it's happening. And so, man, the gospel begins pouring out uh, there in Samaria. Good story. That's exactly where it is, but that's as far as it's gone so far. Oh, you probably know that's not the end of it. He says after that, you're going to reach the ends of the earth. You're going to touch the world. You're going to go into the Gentile countries. That's where we're about to cross. In fact, it's kind of in the status report. We're here in chapter 9, and next chapter is where God begins to push that envelope and, and draw them into beginning to reach the Gentiles and to beginning to see how that's going to work. But so far, you know, that's kind of where they are. Now, it's a fun thing just to kind of think about this again because, hey, this is, this is the church all over those spaces, individual churches, you know, home churches meeting everywhere, just great things are happening. And it's a quick reminder also that the book of Acts is not a comprehensive uh, story of that. 
Uh, in other words, we have not actually read of any of the churches that were planted in Galilee. We just know they were. Uh, we, don't, we don't know who did it. We don't know who took the, the, the gospel up into the Sea of Galilee area, who took the gospel there. We just know that it is gone. And there are churches now throughout the entire Galilee area. We don't know who planted all the churches in Judea or in Samaria. We just know that they have. And so it's, again, a quick reminder that you're not reading the whole story. You're not reading all the individual stories of how, that go- how the gospel has been moving forward. And that's just good to be reminded uh, that it's bigger. It's bigger than this. Nevertheless, we are given the book of Acts so we could feel uh, its movement forward. We could feel how that's going. And again, that's where God's going to draw us and help us to see what that looks like. Well, with that, again, we get this progress report. And in it, he gives us five quick things. Five quick things that kind of say, okay, here's how the church is doing. He says, first of all, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria, they had peace. That's a good thing. Peace. Uh, Peace that uh, God says he would give to us. Now, it's worth noting that even the spacing of this might be um, a little indicative of some of the problem. Hey, if you were with us last week, what just happened? What happened in the first part of of the chapter? Paul gets saved. Saul, at that point in time, before he gets Paul, he gets saved. I mean, the most, you know, radical, just agitator of persecution, the one who had just been breathing out threats, he gets saved, and it's kind of a little, almost a little humor kind of thing to think, man, (laughs) Paul's not, he's on our side, he's no longer just, you know, causing problems, and there's peace. Well, that's a fun thing to kind of think through. There probably is some truth to that. Nevertheless, don't misunderstand it. It's not as if things are going well. We know the persecution is still ramping up. We know that in the, in the next couple of chapters, James is going to die. I mean, people are still being pressed. The persecution is still going on. In fact, there's some changes happening politically um, that Tiberius is being moved off the throne. Caligula is coming on the throne in Rome, which is going to be a horrible you know, little space for, for both the, the Jews and the church. It's going to be rough spaces in the midst of a lot of things. So there's a lot of things happening, but they had peace. And it's a good reminder really fast to just tell us, hey, peace doesn't necessarily mean um, the absence of problems. It doesn't mean that in one sense everything's going well. In fact, Jesus told us that, right? He said, in the world, you're going to have trouble, uh, you know, but be of good cheer. You know, I've overcome it. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives it. Do I give it to you? I'm, I'm offering you peace, but it's not the kind of peace the way the world would see it. The world would say, hey, peace means everything's going well. There's there's no problems. There's no uh, agitation. But that's not real life. That's not how it often is. And the peace that God makes available to us is always available to us. That that space of where we can have have a, a rest, where we can have what Philippians says is a peace that would pass all understanding. It's not the kind of peace that goes, well, that makes sense. Everything's going well for you. It's like, no, it doesn't make sense. But I have peace because of Christ. I have peace because I'm doing well. Uh, and, and it's a good spa- sta- spa- space where it should be. I can say it's so available to you that if you are not enjoying that peace tonight, um, it's not a problem with circumstances. It's not a problem that your workplace is going bad or your family's a little bit confused. Um, if this health check could come through right now and say, hey, if you're not doing, if you don't have peace, 
Um, it's because you're not stepping into it. You're not enjoying it from Christ where Jesus would offer you that. You're not taking advantage of what it tells us in Philippians where, hey, you could pray. You know, you could, you could, you could give all your worries to God. And he says, I'll give you peace. That peace is, passes understanding. And so they were. They were at this moment. We can have the same thing. And it's a good place for us just to mark and say they had it. We should add to that. Not only did the churches have peace, they were being edified. It's a pretty cool word. Uh, I, it's one of those words that I find really helpful. Uh, but then sometimes I'm reminded that, you know, I've been a believer now for, for a few decades and uh, over that almost four decades now. And so uh, sometimes I recognize that I'm really kind of used to biblical vocabulary. And so if that's not a word that you are thinking, like I understand what it is, it literally means being built up. It's a progressive word. Maybe the best way we'd imagine it is if you could say in your neighborhood you began to watch somebody building a home. I don't know if that's happened in your neighborhood or one of those spaces where you, where you, you, you kind of get to see that. If it's happened, then you would know what it feels like. Like every day you would drive by and you'd think, what changed? Like what they put up, you know, like what happened now? You know, you know walls going in, you know, I wonder what that was going to be next. And you're just watching something being built up. You're watching something grow. That's a word that edification means, that there's a spiritual growth. It's not something that ever is like, hey, it's done. It's the idea that the church is growing. It's the idea that they're getting stronger, they're growing in Christ, uh, they're being built up, which is what's supposed to be happening. That, that, that's a good mark, and so that's a good marker that God says, hey, they are doing it. They are doing it. And again, if I can just quickly hold it out as a health marker, if our great physician, our Heavenly Father, were to pull you up right now, I'm just wondering if he would say, hey, you're growing. You know, it's kind of like we're going to compare you to, you know, we're going to pull up, you know, this year's physical to last year's physical, if you will, and say, hey, you've made some progress. You know, good, good job. You know, hey, there's been some good, you know, movement that's been to be there. That's how it's supposed to be. It's never supposed to be a place that it's like, well, actually, pretty much the same. Like, no change, you know, that's like, that's, that's my whole goal, you know, and it's like, that's not a good thing. Biblically, we're always supposed to be growing, uh, that the life in Christ is, is never ending in that growth, and so we ought to be in a place where we're saying, okay, check, you know, peace, check, growing, check. I mean, that should be there. That's, that's how it's supposed to be. That's what they have. On top of that, it says they were walking in the fear of the Lord. That they have this space where um, walking, and, and Yuri uses that term walking to kind of define just continual kind of day-by-day progress. They're living in the space where they, they fear God, where they, they, they worship Him, they honor Him, where God is recognized, and He holds that all the way through us in Scripture saying, hey, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Hey, there's a good space where we'd find ourselves saying, hey, God, you're God. <laughs> you're God, and you're sovereign, and you're holy, and you're just, and you're right. It's not a, a, a terrifying kind of space where we're scared God's going to you know, strike us with lightning or something like that. That's an unhealthy fear. But the fear that says, God, you're God, and I'm humbled before you. I see you in your righteousness and your holiness. That's a good space. It's a good health mark. And again, it's worth just asking how that would be for us tonight if God would say, hey, is that you? Do you fear God? Do you fear God in the way that you're living your life? You could, you should. It's what God's looking for. 
So they have peace, they're edified, they're walking in the fear of the Lord, and they're in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Or again, kind of the modifying of it is they're walking in that. So again, walking is this place of day-by-day, step-by-step progress, and not only do they fear God in that, but they also are enjoying the work of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus said. He says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and he is going to be a comforter. He is going to be the one that would help you, that would help us day by day, that he would be the one that strengthens us, encourages us, builds us up, that he would be the one that works in that. And once more, it's, it's, it's solidly offered to us. The work of the Spirit is offered to every one of us, that we are given that space where the Holy Spirit would be in our lives, that he would be that one, that we could walk in the Spirit, that we'd have the fruit of the Spirit flowing because of that, that it would be a space in our life, and it's available. It is available to you right now. And it's, again, one of those spaces where, again, just got to kind of ask. So if we were to kind of hold up the spiritual checklist and hold it up to you, it's like, so are you taking advantage of this? You know, do you, are you walking in, in, in just, are you looking to the Holy Spirit to be that help, that guide, walking in Him? And that's what you're supposed to be doing. I mean, that's what the church is supposed to look like, and indeed, in this moment, wonderfully, they are. So those things kind of define them. They have peace, they're being edified, they have the fear of the Lord, they have the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and then it just tells us because of that and through that, the church is growing. I mean, it tells us there, and they were multiplied, which is a glorious thought. Just to think and think about how God is doing that. That is, the church is being the church. God is adding to the church those who would be saved. More than that, he's multiplying them. What a good space that would be just to kind of say, God, do that, yes. And in one sense, we long for that. We long for that in this fellowship. We long for that in the entire body of Christ. That if we could look at the world today and say, I want to see the church move forward. I want to see it grow in every space where it is so that it's growing, that it's multiplying, that we're seeing the lost be reached, that we're touching this broken world. That's exactly what God is looking for, and it's a good space for us just to look in and say, hey, that's what's supposed to be happening. That's what's supposed to be happening, and it's certainly what was happening in this moment in time. So again, it's kind of a progress report. It's a good one where we can look and say, hey, that's what's happening. Church is doing well, they have peace, edified, fear of God, comfort of the Spirit, and they are being multiplied. May that be just more and more true of you and I. May it be even this evening, if there's one of those things that you find yourself thinking, you know, almost those embarrassing things when the doctor kind of, so how's that going? And you're like, well, you know, actually, you know, (laughs) not so good on that one, you know, I, I know I should be doing that, not really doing that. Maybe you'd just be here tonight for you to say, God, that's, I don't have that. I know I could. I know peace is offered to me. I know the Spirit's offered to me. I know the fear of God's right there in front of me. I know I can be growing. There's not anything in there that are outside my you know, ability to have them in my life. God really is the one who determines where he multiplies and adds. We leave that to him, but he does that when things are well. And in some, some ways, we're looking for, God, is that, are we healthy? Are, 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 am I healthy? Because there's kind of one of these old adages that kind of came around in the Jesus movement that healthy sheep reproduce. Like, okay, if you're healthy, then this happens. And where there's health, it always goes forward. And so God would look upon us and say, God, where I'm not, where I'm not healthy, Lord, show me, help me to come and become that which you would have. And so it's a good little quick snapshot for us as we gaze into that. That said, with it, we get two other quick stories in this chapter that 
are interesting in their placement, and maybe they're also a little bit a part of a spiritual progress report. Maybe. Uh, We'll kind of talk about it a little bit that way, but let's just kind of notice what happens. Pick it up in verse 32. It says, Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all all parts of the country, that he came down to the saints who dwelt at Lydda. Pause there, and again, just imagine it. So Peter's moving. He's checking things out, which is kind of an interesting part of the story. Told us again back in Acts 8 that persecution broke out and the whole church was scattered from Jerusalem. The only thing that stayed in Jerusalem were the apostles. But even now, it would seem that Peter's kind of going out to see how things are going. He's moving through the country. He begins making himself down there. And in the midst of this, he's going to find a young man that he's going to heal, Aeneas, that we'll meet here in a moment. By the way, it might just be helpful for somebody. If not, I'm just going to quickly show you a map. So Jerusalem down there, that's where, the, where Jesus died. That's where Peter and them were. Lydda is about 20 miles, uh, 20 miles towards the coast. Uh, for those of you who've been to Israel, Lydda is modern-day Lod, which is Ben-Gurion Airport. Like, this is where you landed in Israel. Uh, this is where you, where you kind of landed in the midst of that. So, hey, for those who got that, that's going to be good for you. We're going to continue the story, by the way, and Peter's going to make his way from Lydda up to Joppa, which is about 10 miles, uh, modern-day Tel Aviv, uh, in the midst of it. So, again, just kind of watching this whole thing, just a, a space that Peter's checking things out. He's going to see how things are going in the midst of it, and he comes down there to Lydda. Verse 33, There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus, the Christ, heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So we get a quick story. I mean, again, it's a story that's amazing. We get to think through it. So here's this man, Aeneas, and he is paralyzed. I mean, he is bedridden. It tells us he's been that way for eight years. Somehow Peter finds him. And, and, you know, we know enough through the whole story of Scripture. Uh, Peter didn't get to decide this. This isn't one of the things that you go around and get to choose. There's a leading of God in it, and he, he has a moment where he sees it. And he sees this man, knows what God has in it, and he just speaks to him. And he says, Jesus, the Christ, heals you. It's not me. It's not my work. Right now, Jesus is doing something, and, and, and he's going he's gonna to do this work in you. He's going to heal you, and that's exactly what happens. He tells him, arise, make your bed, and the man arises, radical, wonderful, glorious healing in the midst of it, and in this moment, it's a continuing part of the story. God uses us to draw many people to the Lord. Now, again, we think this through. We've talked about it a couple times in Acts, so I'm just going to touch it briefly, but if you have questions, you can always ask us later. Um, healings. God does those. Uh, he did them biblically. He still does it today. It's a glorious thing. It's a glorious place. He heals. He doesn't always heal. He didn't always heal in Scripture. Uh, he didn't always heal everybody. And everybody that gets healed, you know, still ends up dying. I mean, there's not anybody that, you know, is escaping it. So you're seeing a quick moment. You're seeing a snapshot of, of a moment where God does something miraculous. And our God is a God that does that. He's a God that, that shows up in ways and does things in spaces that just you know, are uniquely and wonderfully Him. And we should long for that. We should pray for that. We should believe God for that. And where that happens, it's this glorious moment where God is known. I mean, you just got to feel it, right? I mean, that's what happens in this space. And, and it tells us, 
you know, then all who dwelt in Lydia, in verse 35, and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So God has shown up. God's done something miraculous, and it is drawing people to Christ. It doesn't mean like every single person. When God uses that term, it just has the idea that it made a huge impact in that city. It made a huge impact. People began turning to Christ, and a glorious thing that God would do. And I love that God does that. I love that he does things in, in, in our world. He does things in our lives that are just him. I know if you're a follower of Jesus, we could sit down and talk right now. And if I were to ask you, so what things has God done that you just know, that was God. <laughs> that was God. I mean, he, he did something and it was healing or it was something that he did in the midst of your life. He did something in the midst of your world. And you were just absolutely like, okay, God, you're God. You are good. And you are amazing. And it's a great space where he does that. And I long that you would know that and that it would do what it's supposed to do. Hey, those things don't always remain. It's not like they stayed there and everybody else got healed in that city. It wasn't about that. It was about drawing to this moment the, the reality of Christ and the greater miracle flowed out of that. The greater miracle was people were getting saved. People getting saved is far above uh, a, a paralyzed man being healed. Uh, people getting rescued from darkness to light. It is the far greater miracle. And, and so we watch all that happen and that's a fun thing to think through. So I like that. I like just reading it. Again, it's not, again, a, a saying that we get to see all the stories that are happening uh, there in Israel, but we do get to see this one. But there's maybe something else that's here. Now, i got to be honest. I'm just going to just quickly try to say this, and if I hope it can make sense. As I was thinking about where we were going to go tonight and what we we're going to talk about, you know, I kept finding myself just drawn back to one of the interesting parts that are a part of this story that finds itself in the book of Acts. And I just was drawn there to share it, but I got to be kind of a little bit honest. I'm not exactly sure why. I, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to land. I hope it's good for all of us to kind of think it through, but I, I, I'm not exactly sure why exactly I'm being drawn to this part of it. So if you're it, like if God is doing to do something in this next few moments, just know that he has directed it for you. And, and I hope in one sense that you can see it. So something's happening right here in this story, and maybe you already caught it. Peter steps into this man, bedridden, paralyzed, sees him, heals him. And if you are watching the story and you know your Bible, you might think, that looks familiar. Like I've seen that somewhere else. Like this is a deja vu moment. Like I've watched this happen and you might recognize, hey, this looks a lot like Jesus. I mean, this is a lot like what Jesus did. I mean, this looks like moments when Jesus would step into it and he would say that exact kind of thing. There's actually a couple of counters that are there uh, that would be a part of it. Maybe the main one that I find myself thinking about is at the Pool of Bethesda uh, there in, in Jerusalem. And Jesus steps into that. It tells us he gets there and there lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, and they're just waiting. They're waiting. They're waiting for any hope. And, and, and much like Aeneas, who's been paralyzed, they're in this situation. Jesus steps into that, won't tell you the whole story. He meets the man, talks with him, asks him if he wants to be made well. And, and eventually he just tells him. He just says to that man, hey, rise up. Take up your bed and walk. And, and immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and walked. And I just want to tell you, it's kind of interesting to read Peter here, and then he's kind of speaking to Aeneas, and he's saying, you know, Jesus Christ, he heals you. You know, and, and he says, Aeneas, make your bed. Like, you just get up. 
Like, put your bed away. And he speaks a very similar phrase to Jesus. And I just want you to say, hey, that's kind of a cool thing. That's a cool, cool, cool thing that we see kind of an echo of Christ happening in this moment. But it begins to move from this forward because as much as we find a little bit of an echo here, one of the things the book of Acts does is also give us an echo into the Apostle Paul's life. Because we're going to find out that in Paul's life, it's going to give us some similar stories. And then give us some similar stories of, of the miracles. So we'd find ourselves in Acts 14, where Paul's there, and it's going to tell us that he's there in Lystra, and a certain man without strength in his feet, paralyzed. And he's sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb. He had never walked. He never walked in the midst of that. Paul observes him intently, and he sees that he had faith to be healed. And he just says to him, hey, you stand up. Like, you, you, up, get up, you're going to stand straight to your feet. And, and the man just leaps up and walks. And, and this is an incredible moment of healing. And again, there should be a little bit of a deja vu. There should be like, hey, these things all seem similar. I want to point out that I don't think that's accidental. I think one of the things that the book of Acts is doing is showing us something. And it's a good part of the story. And it's a story that we began talking about in the book of, at the very beginning, that the book of Acts isn't a story of all that happened in the church. The book of Acts, in its essence, we've kind of called our series, right, our Wednesday nights, we've said it's, it, Acts is what Jesus is continuing to do through, the work of, through his church, through the work of the Spirit. That it's not as if, you know, that Jesus' work stopped, uh, you know, when he, when he rose, but his work continues. And so if you can feel it for a moment, there's this interesting thing. It's like, hey, Jesus is still going. I mean, the same Jesus who, you know, raised this paralyzed man, his, his work, that genuine thing that he's doing, it's still continuing. It's still continuing. It's still a part of it. And then it's going to continue on and say, not only did it continue in Peter, it's going to continue in Paul. Again, we'll just talk about this briefly, but it's actually a little bit of the story of the book of Acts, and it might not seem significant to you. It might not even seem a big deal to you. But Paul's an interesting man. Uh, he is an apostle born out of due time in his own words. He's one that, and it wasn't one of the 12. And yet God is going to, God saved him. He's going to become one that becomes an apostle to the Gentiles. He's going to take the gospel to specifically you and I. He's going to take it to a non-Jewish audience. God is going to entrust him with huge measures of that, that he's going to talk about in Galatians and the book of Romans. And so, that Paul would be so used by God as a powerful reality, but you could almost imagine somebody saying, well, Paul wasn't even one of the 12. Like, why should we listen to him? I mean, is this thing that we call the church today even connected uh, to, to Jesus? I mean, is it even connected to the apostles? And so one of the things that God does in a very interesting way, in about, I would say it's at least two dozen ways, God's going to take throughout the book of Acts, and he's going to show you Peter, and he's going to put Paul right by the side, and we're going to see, hey, it's kind of similar, you know? I mean, we're going to see these two healings that Peter's going to do, and then we're going to see Paul does the same thing. He's going to give us the same thing. Uh, we'd see Peter arrested and put into jail. We're going to see Paul arrested and put into jail. We're going to see Peter miraculously released from prison. We're going to see Paul miraculously released from prison. We're going to see amazing miracles like Peter, you know, he just walks along and people get healed from his shadow and Paul, they take sweatbands from him and people get held here from his sweatbands. I mean, radical weird things, but there's a little bit of a story that just should kind of say, hey, this is the same thing. This is the same thing. 
that the work that Christ is doing, that he carried through the apostles and is continuing uh, to, to, the, to a Paul, it's not a different thing. It's not a disconnected thing in the midst of it. It was, it was connected in such an incredibly beautiful way. So part of it is that. I mean, that's kind of why I would say part of why you're reading that in this chapter, right? So if you're tracking, we just read Paul get saved. We read, you know, Acts chapter 9, this is, this is Paul gets saved, he is being turned to God. We're about to see him unleashed, you know, in, in chapter 12 in a couple spaces. In the midst of that, God's going to begin kind of that work through Peter. But something's happening, and so he includes a couple stories here that just help us to see how God is working through Peter that looks very much like Jesus. And he's going to say, he's going to do the same thing through Paul. And that just does something. Again, I'm not actually sure. I think it's cool. I mean, maybe because I like technical things, and I just find the book of Acts kind of fun. It's like, I love the way the Holy Spirit did that. I love the way there's this underlying story that lets you know that, hey, this, this same thing is happening, and Paul really is being validated, but more than that, the work of God that starts in Christ, it is continuing today, and that's a fun reality, and again, for some in that day, probably a bigger deal probably a bigger deal that would say, hey, Paul really is, hey, a part of this, and so the book of Acts is going to do a little bit of that, but it does a little bit more, and again, maybe that lands for somebody this evening, because sometimes we could begin to think that way. You know, the church today doesn't have any connection to Christ. I mean, I, 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 are we really, I mean, did, did, did somebody else come alongside and manufacture this in some man way? And I just want to tell you, hey, the real thing is absolutely connected. I mean, the life that, that, that was in Christ, that was carried there, is continuing, it's still the same thing. And there's this beautiful part to kind of hold that and say, wow, like we have our roots all the way back in Christ. I mean, like we have this, I mean, we're watching this beautiful connection happen in the midst of the story that is a part of just reminding us, hey, we're a part of that story. We're a part of that story in a powerful way, and it should be, in that sense, kind of pushing down lies, pushing down things that would cause anybody to say, hey, you know, we, we're not, or, you know, we're not connected to that, or maybe we're not connected back through the way that God did it. No, the book of Acts shows it in such a beautiful way. So, hey, we'll continue that story as we look at it. Again, don't sure where that's going to land. So if that's for you here this evening, because we're going to see it a little bit more, I am just longing that somehow God would make that land in a beautiful way. Well, let's continue it, because that's one of the miracles it tosses in here. So we get to see Aeneas healed, and then we get to see Dorcas restored to life, or, or Tabitha. Notice with me the story. It says at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. That's just a pause and good snapshot, by the way. Here's this woman. Her name is Tabitha, uh, also translated Dorcas. So Tabitha is, is Aramaic, Dorcas is in Greek. They both mean the same thing. They both have the idea of a gazelle, which has this kind of, especially in that culture, just beautiful. I mean, it's kind of like the, you would look and say, hey, it's, just, it's like a gazelle. It's like this beautiful deer. It's just, just watching it kind of move in majesty and ways, and that's her. I mean, she's got this name, but it's not just the name that she's given. She's really got this incredibly godly character. She's a follower of Jesus, a disciple, and it tells us that she is, she is just full of good works. She is full of charitable, charitable deeds that she does in the midst of this, but, verse 37, it happened in those days that she became sick. She died. 
when they washed her and laid her in an upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter went with them. And when he had come, they brought him into the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. So pause this again and just kind of see it for a moment. So it's an amazing kind of a story. There's a few interesting things that's really worth your noticing. Peter's going to raise her. You probably know that story, so I'll just tell you now because we're already going to see it. She's going to be restored to life, and that's going to be a good part of the story. That's not necessarily what they, I mean, this has never happened before. I mean, this is not, I mean, Jesus obviously raised. It's not happened. Uh, People have died. Stephen had had just died. And so it wasn't as if they even understood that's going to happen. But somehow it was so tragic that they faced it. Peter's just 10 miles away. Uh, They decide, hey, we ought to get him. I mean, this is such a tragic moment. This is such a hard thing. And so maybe they thought it was going to be comfort, but God is going to do more. That's helpful. But it's also just helpful to kind of see this woman for a moment. Sometimes, for some of us, we can find ourselves thinking, boy, I'm not any big deal. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. You know, I don't, I don't speak those things. Probably in the scheme of things, no big deal. This woman is not any of those things. What, what does she do? She, she was charitable. She did good work, so much so that the widows themselves were, were hugely benefited by her. So when she gets here, all these widows are coming and like, look how she loved us. Look how she took care of us. She sewed us clothes. Uh, she, she took care of us. She, she met our needs. And, and so here's this woman who's, you know, just very practically uh, been a huge blessing. But it has it, it greatly impacted the church. They're so sorry for it. And God is going to do an amazing thing. He's going to raise her back to life. But I just find that a little bit fun to think about for a moment. Because I'm just going to tell you, uh, for some of us here this evening, if we had a choice of raising somebody from the dead, we might have picked Stephen. We might have been like, Stephen's an evangelist. Like, he's, he's like preaching the gospel. I mean, Dorcas, I mean, she just makes people close. I mean, you know, not really a big deal. And God's like, no, 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 it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Uh, I'm going to raise her from the dead. I, I'm going to do something because her story's not done. Uh, and, and, it, and I want to continue her journey. I want to continue that work in her life. And all by itself, that just speaks in a way that might speak to someone here this evening that you look at what you are and you're thinking, well, I'm just, I'm not any good doing it. I mean, I, what do I do? I do little things. I, I, I help people, you know? you know. I mean, it's probably not a big deal in the midst of it, you know? I mean, I, I, I don't, you know, don't speak great messages. I mean, some of my work is just practical, hands-on. I did something for somebody. But God puts a huge mark on that in this moment. And if that's just encouraging for somebody here this evening, make sure you hear God honors it because he does. And here they do. I mean, again, you just, you hear them. They're just, they're, they're, they're so broken up. Reading again in verse 39, Peter arises, he comes with them, he gets there to Joppa. They brought him into the upper room. The widows are just stood by there weeping and they're just showing the tunics and the garments uh, that she t- made, just the way that she cared for them. And so now Peter does the miraculous. But Peter put them all out, knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And when she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. 
Then he gave her his hand and, and lifted her up. And when he had called her, when he called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Wow. So another miracle, another incredible miracle. He steps in here, he speaks it, I mean, does something that had not happened you know, at this point in time, and it's not the normal. I mean, that's not what we find out through the rest of the book of Acts. We're going to find James die here in a moment, so this isn't like, hey, this is some new normal, Um, and, you know, she arises to die again, so she's, you know, nobody, you know, Jesus was the only one that that rose from the dead and didn't die. I mean, she'll die again, and so we're looking at a moment in time where God is doing a really amazing thing, and it's definitive. It's, It's beautiful. It's beautiful because he's speaking life to it. It's beautiful, again, because God shows up in a way that people are like, okay, God is real. God is real. God God is real, and so the gospel moves forward again where it just tells us that it became known throughout all Joppa, and because of it, many believe. Many are finding Christ, which is a gloriously, gloriously good thing, which, again, is good news. That's a good story of just understanding the gospel, moving forward, and love watching God do that. But real quick, Let's just do what we just did. If you're reading this, you should be reading it, especially if you're a Bible student, you might be going, there's another deja vu here. Like, I'm noticing this, and it looks really familiar to me because I've seen it happen somewhere else. Yeah, it happened again with Jesus. We look at Jesus, and in Mark chapter 5, you get this incredible story where he's invited, uh, you know, there uh, to the, the synagogue's leader's daughter. They invite Jesus there and implores him, hey, my little daughter dies at the point of death, is it lies at the point of death, and come and lay her hands on her so that she may be healed and, and she'll live. So she's sick, she's dying, he's trying to get her there. Jesus gets kind of intersected. He you know, heals the woman who's got, got the flow of blood, kind of an incredible story in the midst of that, and she dies. And so while they're still speaking, uh, some come uh, from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, too late, she's dead. You know, no, no, you, 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 why are you bothering him? Like, send him away, because if there was ever hope, there's no longer hope in this moment. But Jesus goes. Uh, he goes to the, the house. He goes in there. They're weeping. They're, everybody's there. And he just tells her, hey, you know what? She's not dead. She's, you know, I'm still going to raise her. They laugh at him. They ridicule him. But he puts them all out of the house. He kicks everybody out. Uh, he puts them all outside. He took the father, the mother, and the child, and those who were with him, which, by the way, was Peter, James, and John, uh, they're with him, uh, and, and, and he enters into where the child's lying. So he just takes this moment, kicks everybody out, quiet moment there, and then he just tooks the child, takes the child by the hand, and he says to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Really, really cool story. It's almost exactly what Peter says, except Peter says, Tabitha Kumi, uh, which is you know, Tabitha arise, and, and Talitha is a little girl arise, but it's, it's like just a couple letters different. It's so similar that you can't miss its significance. In fact, it looked a lot like the story, right? You go back and you see there, tells us Peter puts them all out. What did Jesus do? Kicked everybody out, you know, in the midst of that. You know, he let down, lifted her up by the hand, raised her. Peter does the same thing. And again, it's just one of these stories that you'd look there and say, hey, this is fun. I'm so glad that the work of Christ didn't end, you know, that he's still continuing his good work. The only way that this can happen is that Jesus is still doing things. He's still doing the miraculous. And again, the, the, the marking of it is really cool. But it again continues forward because we're going to find Paul 
also is going to raise a young man uh, from the dead. You guys know the story, perhaps. We'll see it when we get down to Acts 20. It says, in a widow sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. And he was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and he died. He was taken up and he was dead. Everybody's sad about it. Paul comes down to him and he just says, uh, he falls down and embraces him and said, do not trouble yourself. His life is in him. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. So Paul kind of does a similar thing. He takes up this young man who died and raises him. And again, there's just this cool story that is in the midst of this where you should be feeling the connection. Uh, The connection uh, to Christ, to the connection to what he's doing, and the connection to God's work. And, and again, it's just a beautiful space that we see it happening through Jesus, through Peter, through Paul, and yet the, the common element is Christ, that it's still Jesus working. It's still him who is continuing his work, and that was true there and today. Where there's good things happening around the world, where people are being saved, where things are working, it's Christ. It's the work of Christ. It's the body of Christ. It is still the same thing where there's this beautiful connection of of life happening here that just speaks uh, of that space that brings life. Well, again, it's fun for us to see Peter's there. He's going to then continue his journey. We just note it quickly. He stayed stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. And we'll pick up that story next time. But it's worth us just seeing, hey, a lot of things are happening. I mean, God's doing some amazing things. So let's circle back towards a close for us this evening. So we're seeing some stories. Uh, We're seeing kind of this interesting story of Dorcas and and, and Aeneas healed, but it kind of follows on this idea of a progress report. So in some senses, I just want to circle back to that. This is what God's doing. I mean, this is his church. And there is a sense that we should look on it and say, am I a part of that? You know, am I, you know, if I look look at the spiritual progress report, is it mine? Is that continuing work of Christ still being that which I am I'm a part of, you know, you know, where maybe it's miraculous or maybe it's like Dorcas and it's just kind works that so echo Christ and in, in, in beautiful ways that, that mark that. There ought to be a sense that we could say, hey, that's what we're supposed to be. That's what Jesus is doing. That's where he's drawing us. And maybe you are. Maybe I'm just speaking to you and you're like, I, I'm there. Like, I'm so glad to be a part of this. And maybe you'd be like, I feel like I'm maybe out of the flow a little bit. Like maybe I need, you know, I need some, some work in me that say, God, I want to be a part of that. I mean, if we could look at it today and, and in the midst of I want to be a part of what Jesus is doing today. I want to be a part of what he's doing in our world today. I'm longing that that would be a space that, that, that he would work in a way that would show himself real and people would get saved. We're just longing that he would continue doing that longing that he would draw even here. And and so let's just take a moment and just ask him for that. I'm going to lead you in prayer and longing in the midst of it, wherever God has spoken into your sense that you would just say, hey, I want to be a part of that. But echoing it out, maybe even today, it's something in the midst of this that God is speaking into your life that would just be drawing you into this. It's a good space for you to surrender. And we'd love to be a part of that. Come up and talk to us afterwards and we'd love to see what God would do in that. But let's ask him for it right now. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for, boy, this progress report and this beautiful connection of the continuing work of Christ.
Lord, I know you're good, and, and I trust you in that. Lord, I pray that today you would find us healthy, getting healthier. That you would make us a people that if you could look upon it and say, hey, they have peace. They're, they're growing. They're being edified. If you're God, you're walking in what God has and the, the work of his spirit, make that us tonight. Make that us tonight in a, in a powerful way. The Lord, in the midst of it, I think it's, I love the picture that it's so much more, that it's this beautiful place of what you're still doing, that the true church is your church, that it's about Jesus, uh, Jesus, that what you are doing, those are the only things that are real. Those are the only things that last, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that that way reality would be present and at work where you would be being glorified, where your work would be taking place connected fully all the way back to you. Lord, do it again. Do things in us, through us. Do the miraculous. Do the impossible. Do things that would just show people that you're real. Wake them up. Wake them up from from where they don't believe. Turn hearts to you. We cry out for that in our city. We cry out in our world. God, do it again. Continue that work of Christ today. Thank you that you are. I believe you in that. And I just want to be a part of that. Lord, I, I look upon you and, and I just want to say, God, I want to be with you today. I want to be doing what you're doing. I want to be walking in your ways and in your work. Draw me after that. Draw me after that. Draw me into that in a way that is both beautiful and life-giving. We just pray for that for me. I pray that for each of us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.